Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. For so sworn, good or evil, an oath may not be broken, and it shall pursue oathkeeper and oathbreaker to the world's end. Welcome to Storytelling, Oaths and Promises, the 179th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of author J.R.R. Tolkien. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn Ode's mother. And J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Lots of wisdom there. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we're going to be doing another storytelling episode Yay! this week. Because it's been a bit since we've done one. We enjoy the storytelling. We do. Mm-hmm. But first we have housekeeping. Yes, we do. The first item on our housekeeping list, because it is the first episode of the month of March. Everybody sit back, relax. <laughs> is that Carl will now read the names of all of our patrons. I do want to say I feel like I just did this because I wasn't on the first of last month and Ode just didn't read them. Yes. And also February was a short month, so that contributed That's true. too. That's true. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was three days shorter. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the fact that Ode did not read them. And I supported this choice. Right. This was the right this was the right and it correct was the decision. Right and correct decision to just wait for have to have you do it. Alright, so we have forty kittens. We Greetings love you kittens. kittens. Our cats are Abby, Amber Olman, Annabelle Lee, Arcane Jill, Ashley Harkins, Cabra, Cauliflower, Christine Phillips, Cindy Barrick, Claire K. R. Miller, Elisa Durka, M. Talasavari. Aaron, Kathleen, Firesong, Gabby Gaberson, Jasmine Ray Bell, JD, JT, Kelly Burt, Coney Briggs, Chris Mickelson, Laura Loki, Megan, Michael Adanzanio, Nova Misco, Rebecca Hillman, Socora, Sora Koff, Squiggy, and the Dryad. We love our cats. Yes. Our hunters are Asifeter, best I can do, Alisa <laughs> no- Alicia Noble, Alyssa Addy, Amy Martin, Andy Olson, Ashley Ann, Ben Walburn, Brianna Peepoop, Cameron Grant, Kara B, Charles Howison, Corvus Fideli, Crimson Russell, Delilah Darge, Darren, Daughter of Oak, David Dashfin Keys, Druidic Heart, Eden Flora, Alora Driver, Goddess Incognito, Heather Lewis, Holfer, Ivy Rose, Jax, J.C. Helmer, Jessica Jones, JoJo, Justin Harrell, Kitty Catastrophe, Kai Oakenshield, La Petite Poison, Loriana Lee Knapp, Mach 2556, Marat, Megan Kuyper, Mel Renee, Melissa Gerben, Melkor, Michaela, Nisha, Patrick the Mystic Stitcher, Precious Fire, Ray Lothrop, River the Dragon Mage, Rochella and Dashvid, Roanoke the Wiccan Wizard, Ryan Hopkins, Sammy Proudy, Samwise the Blonde, Shy Bee, Sky Bears, Sloth, Sophia Duncan, 
Stevie Thompson, Talia Franks, Tori, Usha Ursa, Venus Sheets, and Victoria Selness. We love our hunters. We do. Our tigers are Amanda Hicks, Crystal of Apothecary Tees, Jim Two Snakes, Trees If You Please, Tree Wizard Creations, and Weavers of the Web ATC. We love you, tigers. Our leopards are Alex Robinson, Chris Colobri, Eleanor Faithful, Gary Bearstorm, Gemma Atkinson, Jody Cozy, Kimberly Squeaky Reynolds, Kitty Robinson, Luna Nicholas, Nolan Hayes, Shadow Raven 666, and Schwan Fairywater. Did you say that was leopards? I think that was leopards. We have so many leopards. Wow. Thanks to our many, many leopards. We love you, leopards. Our panthers are Don Taylor, Melissa Negron Schilling, and QQ Ann. We love you, panthers. And our jaguars. Jaguar. Our Justin Stanich, Kirsten Ray, Lori Phillips, and Midnight Dove. Very cool. Love to our Jaguars. We love our Jaguars. So many, many names. And you know, we love all our listeners. Mm -hmm. And we want to say special thank you, though, always to our patrons. Uh, Other housekeeping? Oh, I did want to say hello and thank you to Peter. The listeners in New Orleans, because we got to meet Peter this past weekend. He was in Kalamazoo and he came Mm by and said hello. Um, And he wanted to Mm -hmm. let us know that we have a lot of listeners in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and that they chit chat about our programs that, you know, our episodes. And so we just wanted to say it was great meeting you, Peter. And I hope we get to go to Nolans one of these days and meet you guys again on their home turf. turf. Part of uh, the Beehive Coven. Yes. Yes. So hello, Beehive Coven. Thank you for listening. Um, And you wanted to talk about books. There is a new book out by Jason Mankey. Um, he wrote it with Ari Mankey and two other writers who I can't remember their names right now. Also assorted additional authors who contributed to the book. Yours truly being one of them. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm so excited. But it is called The Witch's Book of Spellcraft. And it is a phenomenal book, you guys. This is one, if you don't have any other book by Jason Mankey, this is the one that you want. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'm going to say about it right now, because I am going to do um, a review review. on the blog and we can talk about it more after you've had Mm -hmm. a chance to look at it. We can do a proper review here on on, the podcast. On the podcast. But that book is, is it officially out yet? Oh yeah, it is officially, it is officially out. I also hear rumors that uh, Jason Mankey may be coming on again to talk about that book. Yes, just as soon as I get around to sending him an email. And we're going to do that. We're going to encourage Ode. (laughs) But yes, please do grab yourself a copy. And this is one book. I mean, I know a lot of people love Kindle, but honestly, I feel like this is one book you want to have physically in your hands. It is like a massive tome Mm -hmm. and it's got so many good, so many good things in it. All kinds of spells, as I said, including from me. And Jody says the other two authors are Matt Cavalli and Amanda Lynn. Thank you. Want to give them their proper due. Mm-hmm. Get it now so you can be prepared for the <laughs> for yes. the episode where we discuss it. And prepared for when Jason is uh-huh. on the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that way you can ask him questions. Instead of the dead silence we get. <laughs> when we're like, do you have questions for the author? And right. Like, just crickets. no one's typing. <laughs> crickets. Is there any other housekeeping we need to do? Not that I can think of. I don't think anything imminent. Not yeah. anything imminent. We know that Car is working on something mm-hmm. in, for the future. 
Yep. In a, several months in, down the road. In autumn. In in the autumn, right? Is that correct? Yeah, or is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I, sure. Sometime in that time frame. Late summer, early autumn, something right, I like think that? I think you said August. So, so that yeah, would be August, still yeah. summer. Technically. <laughs> but so other than that, I don't think we have anything right now that's yep. going. Mm-hmm. All right. Then we are house kept. And house swept. Yay. We did it. We made it. Woohoo. <laughs> The theme for this week's storytelling is oaths and promises, which I thought when I and uh, when I told everyone we would this would be the theme for this week would be super easy to yes. find lots of stories with oaths and promises in them. That's because you're a heathen. But it turns out <laughs> that my my viewpoint was skewed by how many oaths and promises are in Norse and Germanic stories. To and be the, fair. That can be harder to find in other territories. I I think it's a a big topic in the in the Norse heathen community, so and in Norse mythology. Yeah, I I actually it was a little bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was just looking in the wrong places. But Gwen and I each have two stories. Mm -hmm. Carr unfortunately does not have any stories today. He was uh, too busy with work, and also uh, it's just hard to find the fact that I gave him a difficult topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So I think that's the big one. But uh, maybe, hopefully, we'll be able to do another storytelling episode in the future, mm-hmm. and Carr will be able to contribute then because we won't have such a difficult topic. I didn't anticipate it being <laughs> difficult. I really didn't. <laughs> All right, but Gwen, would you like to start us off? Sure. And I'm going to start with a Greek god that maybe people haven't heard of Ooh. before. His name is Horkos, and he was the or is the personification of the curse that would befall people who broke their oaths once taken. Mm. And he was the son or is the son of Eris, strife, mm-hmm. and brother of many other deities, all having to do with personifications of wrongdoings or negative situations such as pain, fights, murder, lies, and forgetfulness. So this story is about Horkos. And this is actually from Aesop Fables, uh, this is no- number 170 or number 298, depending on the translator. On, on, on which Aesop fable collection. Mm-hmm. And it is a Greek fable from the 6th century BCE. Ooh, it's old. Mm-hmm. There was a man who took a deposit of money from a friend, but rather than honor his promise to eventually return that money to his friend, he intended to keep the money for himself. In his heart, he mm-hmm. was going to keep the money. When the friend in, you know, future time asked him for to swear an oath that he would one day return this deposited, you know, this money to him. Mm-hmm. Well, that made the man uncomfortable because, you know, in his heart, he was planning to keep that money and spend it on his own farm. And uh, so he was going to GTFO out of the city mm-hmm. where he was visiting his friend and he was going to leave. So he got himself all packed up and he started walking. Mm -hmm. Well, when he got to the gate, he ran into a lame man who was also leaving the city at the same time. So he decided to walk out of the town with this gentleman. Who knows why? We don't know. Just like as cover? (laughs) Just as cover. Who knows? But he asked the man, what, you know, what is your name and where are you heading? Mm-hmm. And maybe he just wanted some company along the road out of the city. Some distraction from the crime he was committing. Some distraction. And he said, I am Horkos. My name means oath. <laughs> and I'm on my way to track down wicked people who are false in their words. 
who make promises they do not intend to keep. Well, of course, this made the man rather nervous. Um, but he said, so it, can you tell me how often do you return to the city? <laughs> and Horkos looked at him and said, well, usually every 30 to 40 years, I'll return to the city after I've gone out journeying and looking to see, you know, for the evildoers. Mm-hmm. And so the man said, oh, okay. And he lickety split decided to go back to the, to the city. So he's you know what? It was I so, forgot something. I forgot something. Thank you for talking to me. But I think I'm going to head back for now and I'll journey tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So the man headed back to, into the city, found his friend, and immediately made his oath that he never received any money and that he was going to go home. And, of course, the, the friend was like, uh, okay, but... You did, and but I, you, I, gave I did, you and you were going to do this thing with it, and then return it to me. But the man made an oath and said, "I have no idea what you're talking about," and thus left the city, well, thinking he had like thinking he missed Horcus's. Mm-hmm. Is it Horcus? Horcus. Horcus. Thinking he had missed Horcus's mm-hmm. one visit. Yeah, because he thought, well, if he only comes every mm-hmm. thirty to forty years, I'm clear. Right. I can take the money and run and tell the friend, I don't know what you're talking about. I got you. So, because apparently maybe this money had been given to him a while ago and, you know, he made the oath. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I never got any money from you. It's time for me to go back home. So as the man is leading, leaving the city, who should he run into but Horkos? And trust me, he was not lame now. He grabbed that man by the arms and he marched him forward down the trail until they came to a cliff's edge. And all along the way, as he's being forced toward the cliff, the man is saying, but but you told me, you told me you wouldn't come back for 30 or 40 years. I didn't even have a day. Why are you back? And Horkos said, you also need to know that if someone intends to provoke me, I come back that same day. So he so knew. I guess the implication is like most of the time I'm only needed once every 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. But if you swear an oath, you intend to forswear. Mm-hmm. He'll go out and I guess he spends that 30 or 40 years searching for people who've made promises they don't keep, mm-hmm. aren't willing to keep. But if someone in Horkos's name, mm-hmm. you know, because his name is Oath, right. says, I swear an oath that I will return this money to you. Um, but then has the money and swears an oath that he never received it right. and has never intended, obviously, to give it back. That is an affront to Horkos's name. And so instantly, lickety split, lickety split brings him back to that person and they receive their reward. Getting thrown off a cliff, I yep. assume. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But that is the story of Horkos. I, I've actually read a lot of Aesop's fables and that's the first time I've ever run across that one. So that was... So while your topic was difficult, it was interesting because I found something I'd, I'd never heard before. Nice. Yeah, I know. You you read a lot of Aesop's mm-hmm. fables. They mm-hmm. were one of your your childhood favorites. Favorites, mm-hmm. yeah. You had um, several books, I think. I did. Fables. Yep, but didn't run across this one. They probably deemed it too violent to include. A little too much. The... It's, a, it's a little violent. Yep. <laughs> so it's, don't make an oath you do not intend to keep is the moral of this tale. 
Join our Tiger Kelly on a visit to Tree Wizard Creations, where you can find custom engraved creations for all paths. They offer unique gifts and tools for the altar, home, practice, and family. In addition to their standard product range, they offer custom commissions. If you can dream it, the wizard will create it. Contact them at treewizardcreations at gmail.com, follow them on Facebook, or find them online at treewizardcreations.com. Hail Dictinus! Alright, so I'm going to start with the Lay of Atli, which is a tentatively dated to the 9th century poem from the Codex Regius, which is a collection of Edic poems of mixed origin and date. So there's actually some dispute about where exactly the Lay of Atli was written. It might have been in Greenland, at least a 13th century scribe thought it came from Greenland, but there's some evidence that it predates the settlement of Greenland. Mm. So mysterious. Mysterious origins. Yeah, where exactly the Lay of Atli was written. But you need a little bit of context on some of the players in the Lay of Atli to understand what's about to happen. So we'll, we'll start with a little bit of groundwork, but I'm not going to get into the details on it. But some of the names will be familiar, so you may be able to fill in the details on your own. So the hero Sigurd marries a woman named Guthrun. Brynhildr wants to marry Sigurd and is tricked instead into marrying Gunnar, who is Guthrun's brother. Brynhildr, upset about this, incites Gunnar and his brother Hogni to kill Sigurd, which they can't do because he's married to their sister, and they have therefore sworn an oath of brotherhood to Sigurd. Did Wagner write about this in the Ring yes. Cycle? Yes, I he did. He, he did. wrote, a, he wrote a, about a variation of this, mm -hmm. yes. I thought so. So Brynhildr keeps pushing Gunnar to kill Sigurd as punishment for having tricked her into marrying Gunnar in the first place. As you do. <laughs> right. And because Gunnar and Hogni can't do it, they get their youngest brother, who was too young to swear the oath of brotherhood to Sigurd, to do it in their stead. Seems unfair, but okay. Right. So Guthrun's youngest brother kills her husband, and Sigurd, while dying, kills her youngest brother. And so she wakes up to find her husband and her youngest brother both dead. Oh, man. And then Brynhildr kills herself, having accomplished her revenge, right? That's so just dramatic. Yes. So now <laughs> no one in Guthrun's family is married anymore. Right. Well, clearly. <laughs> Guthrun and Gunnar were both married at the start of this story, and now neither of them are. Mm -hmm. But they have uh, a bit of a conflict with Atli, who is Brynhildr's brother. He's very upset about the treatment that Brynhildr has received, even though at least half of it was her fault because she's the one who got Sigurd killed and then killed herself. To appease Atli, Guthrun, who was married to Sigurd, is married to Atli and sent to live in his kingdom. Okay, so... That's just the groundwork. That's just the groundwork. All the drama. Yes. That was some starting oath-breaking where, mm -hmm. where there was some rules lawyering on some oaths because Gunnar and Hogni couldn't kill Sigurd. They had mm -hmm. sworn an oath of brotherhood to him. So they got their younger brother, who hadn't technically sworn the oath yet, to do the murder. Mm -hmm. Rules lawyering Rules, yeah. there on some oaths. Finding some loopholes yes. in the story. <laughs> so as things currently stand, Guthrun is married to Atli and is in his kingdom. Gunnar and Hogni are in their kingdom. Gotcha. And Gunnar and Hogni are currently 
managing the Sigurd's treasure, which he got from slaying the dragon Fafnir. Gotcha. We're now getting into the actual lay of Atli. <laughs> gotcha. Atli sends a messenger to Gunnar and Hagni and tells them they should come to his court and visit and see their sister and he'll give them great treasures to bring back with them as gifts. And Gunnar and Hagni are like, why would we need great treasures from our brother-in-law? We literally have the greatest treasure hoard on earth. <laughs> like it was a dragon's treasure yeah. and then it was Sigurd's treasure and now it's our treasure. We don't need anybody else's treasure. Right. And the message came with a ring from Atli as like a an oath of friendship and uh, safety, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the ring had wolf hair sewn through it, which Gunnar and Hogni immediately perceive is a message, a secret message from their sister, oh. Guthrun, that there's treachery afoot. Okay. Because the wolf is a symbol of danger mm-hmm. and evil men gotcha. in, in Norse mythology. So they see the ring that is supposed to promise them safety has been sewn through with wolf hair. And they say, okay, well. It's trick. Clearly there's some kind of trick here. Mm-hmm. But our sister's there. And if we don't go, we'll be taken for cowards. And as having rejected this oath of friendship and loyalty. And so we have to go and at least see what's up. Because otherwise shenanigans would happen. Otherwise, exactly. Otherwise there would be consequences possibly to them and more importantly, possibly to their sister. Right. Who is Atli's wife, but also sort of hostage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Gunnar and Hagni get together a couple of men. They don't bring a big cohort because they're supposedly going there in friendship. So they get together a couple of men and they make the journey to Atli's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Where they are immediately ambushed. Of course. By Atli's men. As you do. Uh-huh. They put up a good fight. Hogni personally kills eight people <laughs> in the in the fight. Eventually, they are both captured and separated. Mm-hmm. And Atli goes to Gunnar, who's the older brother, and tells him, Well, uh, all your men and your brother are dead, uh, and I want the treasure. Give really? me the treasure. It should be mine anyway, because uh, when Sigurd died, it should have passed to Guthrun, and since I'm her husband now, it should be mine. And so Gunnar is like, well... We knew this was a trap coming in because the ring you sent us supposedly as an oath of friendship was sewn through with wolf hair. So we knew this was a trap. and So we counter-trapped? No, unfortunately no. But, oh. but we made an oath before we left that if we died here, no one would ever have oh. the treasure of Fafnir. Unless you can show me my brother's heart and prove to me that he's dead, I'm not going to tell you anything. And so Atli says, all right, fine. I will show you your brother's heart. But the thing is, Hogni is not dead yet. Gunnar has been told he's dead, but Hogni is alive and in captivity. And Atli doesn't want to kill him because if Gunnar won't tell him, he wants to try Hogni next. Right. So he has a servant killed, his own cook, mm-hmm. uh, and has the heart ripped out of that man. Aw, uh, poor cook. Uh-huh. And presented to Gunnar and says, look, here's your brother's heart. Tell me whether where, where you've hidden the treasure. And Gunnar looks at this trembling heart and he says, that's a coward's heart. So it's definitely not my brother's. <laughs> I knew it was going to be something like that. It's like, no, no, the, I can tell. Absolute bullshit. Absolutely that's not my brother's the, heart. That's the heart of it's, some sad little coward you've killed. It's, it's some, too small. Some servant in your house. It's not my brother's heart. So, yeah, poor chef, says Elle. <laughs> So, yeah, so he gets murdered for no good reason, and then even his heart is insulted. <laughs> yeah. 
so Gunnar is still refusing to talk because um, now he's sure his brother is still alive or else, right. you know, Atli would have shown him his brother's heart. Right. And Atli says, all right, fine. Go kill Hogni. So they go kill Hogni. They tell him, hey, your brother says he's not going to tell us where the treasure is until he sees your heart. So you're dead. I think that's kind of a, was kind of ill-considered by... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was saying. It didn't work out as intended. Yeah. But Hogni, because he's a, a brave and virtuous man, dies laughing, cackling like, ha 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 ha, this isn't going to change anybody's mind. My brother's still not going to tell you shit, you dumb motherfucker. So they cut his heart out mm -hmm. and present it to Gunnar. And Gunnar's like, yes, this valiant heart is definitely my brother's. And now I know I'm the last person who knows where that treasure is. So when I die, you'll never get it, bitch. <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh -huh. So Gunnar, now confident that he is the last person who knows where this is, who knows where this treasure is, can definitely guarantee the oath they made before they left home that... If they died, no one else would ever have this treasure. Mm -hmm. So Atli, in a fit of rage, has Gunnar? has Gunnar dragged away to be thrown into a snake pit. To like die. you do. Like you do. When you're pissed. Uh-huh. And not getting your way and throwing a temper tantrum. Uh -huh. And so Guthrun has been here this whole time watching all this Drama. happen. Mm -hmm. And so she warns Atli as, as Gunnar is being dragged away. She says, you've made oaths to my brother by the sun in the south, by Sigtir's mountain, which is o Odin's mountain, by the horse of the rest bed, so by our marital bed, you made oaths to my brothers, by the ring of, of Ullr, you made oaths to my brothers, you made all these promises to my brothers. And they were all false. And they were all false. It shall go with you as it goes with Gunnar. Ooh. As Gunnar's being dragged away. And Atli doesn't listen to her. Of course he doesn't. He just, he, he doesn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. So he drags Gunnar away and he has Gunnar thrown into the snake pit and Gunnar dies. And Guthrun says, all right. And she does not cry. A spirit overtakes her. A, te a temperament of what's called the gods of slaughter Ooh. overtakes Guthrun. Am I, am I sensing a berserker <laughs> kind of incident here? So she tells Atli, well, you've killed my brothers and you now have me completely in your power. I will hold a feast for you to celebrate your victory. Oh. So Guthrun starts setting up this feast. And Atli and all his men are feasting and drinking the ale and eating the food and celebrating. Atli invites important visitors to come. Mm -hmm. And they have this great feast. And about halfway through, Guthrun goes directly to Atli and says, that uh, delicate, delicious morsel you're eating is the heart of your son's. I've killed our two sons, roasted their hearts, and fed them to you. Congratulations. Well done. Oh. <laughs> and, and you've also uh, inflicted this cannibalism on everyone you invited to this hall to celebrate the murder of my brothers. No one is happy with you right now, Atli. I'm not happy with you. None of your men are happy with you. All the important dignitaries you invited are not happy with you. And our sons are dead and will never respond to your calls again. Hell hath no fury. <laughs> and then Atli understandably feeling quite sick, goes to bed. And Guthrun takes her brother's sword and murders him. Good. And then she releases the dogs and the servants and then sets the entire household on fire. See, you never... Com completing her cycle of vengeance. You know, you know, when you read these myths about the vengeance of the queen, mm -hmm. you know, they never learn. <laughs> They do it sneaky like. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. You know, these 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 
men, you know, like, oh, I'm going to kill this. I'm going to kill blah. And then the woman comes along and says, yeah, okay. I'm going to kill you, but first I'm going to make your life miserable. Yep. (laughs) I'm going to destroy your line. Absolutely. My own children. Mm -hmm. I'm going to destroy your credibility as a ruler. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to murder you and burn down our house. And it's going to go down in history. (laughs) And the, the only people I will save are our servants, like the cook you murdered, who, by the way, because you murdered our cook, I was able to kill and roast our children with no one the wiser. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to release the servants and the dogs, who are the only people in this household who had no part in my That's brother's right. deaths. That's right. Oh, man. Now we know who let the dogs out. Exactly. It was Guthrie. <laughs> Guthrie let the dogs out. That, that, fi- that question has finally been answered. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Baha, man, for asking the question. We now have the answer. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So yes, a whole saga of many, many broken oaths, the last of which becomes a curse. Yeah. Which Guthrun takes it upon herself to be the arbiter of vengeance for oath breaking in this case. I gotta say, man, that that is some crafty shit going down. <laughs> yes. Very crafty. Little little gross. Oh yeah. Elle said Bond villain level execution. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. She waits for the peak moment when yep. it will cause the most emotional and political distress. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yes. And she she kills him in the marital bed on which he swore his oath. Right. It's all very Interconnected. symbolic. <laughs> symbolic, yes. And this is not even the end of Guthrun's story. So um, if you're interested, you can uh, read more about Guthrun's continuing tragedies because it only gets worse from here. Yeah, yeah. Our tiger Jim Two Snakes has spent much of the past three decades proving that he really is old, providing spiritual and emotional support for individuals that are looking for accountability, wisdom, and safe supported spaces while they discover how to walk their own path. Jim is now offering his spiritual dad service in a Patreon structure. This informal program includes regular contact with Jim and specific guidance for what's going on in your life right now. Along with a talking stick monthly meeting for some levels and regular phone calls ranging from one to four times a month at other levels, Jim will help you with goal setting, ritual and energetic practice ideas, teaching, suggestions, support and accountability and whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And because it's your path, he will adapt his suggestions to suit what works best for you. It's called Spiritual Dad, but there's no age limit. We all need spiritual and emotional support. To find out more, visit jimtwosnakes.net or patreon.com forward slash spiritual dad. Hail Dictinus. Hail Dictinus. Very good read. My second story is, again, a, a Greek tale. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I have to, to say, I'm assuming you are familiar with the river sticks. Yes. Did you know? That in Greek mythology, there is a Titanus goddess of the river Styx named Styx. I did not. Yes. And she is not only the goddess of the river Styx, for which she is, has the same name, but mm. she is also the goddess of the sacred odes. Mm. Styx was the daughter of the Titans Oceanus and Tithus, the rivers Acheron Cocytus, I cannot say that name, Lethe. Phlegathon and Styx, obviously, are all part of the underworld. And Styx is uh, that portal between the world of the living and the underworld. That's, you know, that that you pay. You travel along Styx. Yes, that you travel along. 
It was obviously named after the goddess and is said to actually have miraculous powers making an oath binding and that it could also be the source of punishment if you broke your oath. Mm. So the story that I'm going to read, and there's actually several stories. About the river? About, or... Well, about the river, but also about Styx herself. Okay. When the time came that the Olympians decided they would go to war with the Titans, Styx was one of the first deities to pledge her allegiance to Zeus. In doing so, her children quickly followed suit and became vital allies during the war. When Zeus and the Olympians finally emerged victorious to show that goddess his gratitude, he gave her the name to the to be the binding oath that gods and goddesses will take. Okay. And whenever the binding oath was taken, they would have to do so in Styx's name, and the earth would have to be honored in her waters. Now, Zeus fell in love with a princess. Uh, one of many times. Named Semele. <laughs> who asked him to grant her one wish. Zeus accepted the princess's request and took an oath on a river, Styx, that he would grant her anything she desired. Semele asked Zeus to appear to her in his full glory. It was believed that any mortal who gazed upon a god in their proper form would burst into flames. Knowing that his presence would almost certainly kill the princess, Zeus had no choice but to honor his oath. And when he did finally appear, Semele and all those around her burst into flames and died instantly. It's really quite rude that they didn't do this in a private setting. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, because he, you know, he made this Mm-hmm. This oath, this that he oath, would do by she asked, yeah, by sticks, blessed it through the water. Mm-hmm. He had to fulfill that oath because he himself would have been punished, mm-hmm. even knowing what the consequences. Even knowing would be. what the consequences would be, he would have been punished if he did not. Although, now, really, he still should have taken her off into a side room and not subjected everyone else in the area to. Mm-hmm. So it is believed that the gods who broke an oath would drink from Styx's water and this would cause them to lose their voice and become exiled from the council of the gods. Gotcha. If they didn't complete the oath. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's as good as I could get for odes. Right. <laughs> anyway, I thought, uh, I did not realize that Styx was herself a goddess as yeah. well as a river. So is she the personification of the river? She is the Titaness that, okay. that is of the river. So the river, she is the river and right. the river is named after her. Shala says, is Ode going to tell us about the binding of Fenris now? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> and I, I like that Elle said, don't swan and chill. Uh-huh. Exactly. So uh, everyone probably saw this one coming because I've talked about it in the Discord before. My next story about Ode's is going to be about the pioneering of Fenris Ulfur. Fenris is one of three children that the god Loki has with a giantess named Angrabotha. And so the, the other children he has with Angrabotha are Jormungandr and Hel, the goddess of the underworld. But all three of these children with Angrabotha are prophesied to take part in Ragnarok in various ways. Mm-hmm. And Fenris Ulfur in particular is prophesied to kill Odin. So the gods decide, okay, this is a very dangerous puppy. <laughs> we must keep an, a close watch on um, the dangerous puppy. Said puppy. So uh, they essentially take Fenrisulfur hostage, and he is to be raised in Asgard. But all the gods are afraid of him. 
And the only god who is brave enough to actually interact with Fenris Ulfur, to feed him and to raise him, is Tyr, who is a god of law and honor and justice. And also war, but sort of incidentally, the way practically every Norse god is a god of war. (laughs) So Tyr is raising Fenris Ulfur. And over time, very, very quickly, Fenris Ulfur is growing at an enormous rate. He's becoming absolutely gigantic, and the gods are concerned that they will soon no longer be able to control him Mm -hmm. that he will start rampaging and he'll be too big and too strong for them to to fight or contain him Mm -hmm. so they decide all right it's now or never we either tie up this wolf or we die so they contrive a game where they say all right fenrisulfur we're gonna do a game where we test your strength because you're so big and so strong and such an impressive puppy We're, we're gonna test your strength and see how strong you really are so we're going to put these chains on you and you try to break the chains. Oh, so rude. Yes. Was he kind of an innocent puppy? Did- At this point, he hadn't done anything okay. except be very large. No, I mean, you know, innocent in that he would fall for oh, the yeah. chains. Yes. He thinks this is a great game. Okay. So they, they put the first set of chains on him and Fenner Sulfur easily breaks all the chains and shakes them off. And he's like, ha ha ha, yes, I'm very strong. And the gods all clap and applaud. Hooray! Fenrisulfur, so strong, so brave. Where's Loki in all this? Loki doesn't feature in the story at all, so presumably he is not present, or he's not allowed to be involved with Fenrisulfur. Because like I said, Fenrisulfur is sort of a hostage in Asgard right now. Fenrisulfur breaks the first set of chains easily, and the gods are like, okay, get the next set of chains, the bigger, stronger chains. (laughs) So they say, Fenrisulfur, that was very impressive, hooray. Let's continue the game. We have another set of chains stronger than the last. But are you stronger than those chains? And mm-hmm. Fenrisulfur says, yes, of course I am. I am the strongest wolf that ever was. And they chain Fenrisulfur up again. And he easily, again, no sweat off his back, no no struggle at all, just snaps all those chains and shakes off. Mm-hmm. And the gods are like, hooray, Fenrisulfur, the strongest wolf in the world. And Fenrisulfur is like, yes, yes, I am. Thank you very much. Pets, please. <laughs> Give me pets and snacks. He seems um, like a pretty decent wolf. So at this point, the gods are getting concerned because... They've uh, already been concerned. Well, their hopes were for the second chains to work, and they did not. Mm. And so they're like, all right, uh, those were actually the strongest chains we had on hand. So somebody go quick to the dwarves and ask them to make us the strongest chains possible. Oh, chains no. that could never possibly be broken by anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. And the dwarves, because they are master craftsmen, say, okay, that's, this is an interesting challenge. What could never possibly be broken by anything or anyone? Even time, even fate. And so what the dwarves decide to do is they gather up impossible things, Mm. which because the dwarves are master craftsmen, they're able to do these things. Mm -hmm. Um, So they gather things like the breath of a fish and the sound of a cat's footsteps and a woman's beard and uh, the the roots of the mountain, right? Mm -hmm. And they gather up all these impossible things and they weave them together into a very thin, flexible rope that they call glipnir, which means open. And they present this to the gods and they say, this can never be broken because it consists of things that don't exist. So it's futile to fight against. So the gods say, okay, it's our best shot. The dwarves said it'll work. And they're the only people we've got on call for this kind of thing. So they bring glipnir out and they say, Fenrisulfur, we have another test, another test of your strength. Do you think you can snap this slender little rope? And Silver looks at this rope, and it's so much less impressive than the other chains mm-hmm. that he's been breaking. And he thinks, oh, this doesn't seem right. They should know I'm easily able to snap that into a million billion little threads. So there must be some kind of trick to it. 
And I don't trust that. Smart wolf. <laughs> so Fenner Sulfur says, mm, I do want to prove that I'm the strongest wolf, but I don't want to be chained up forever in case I can't get out. So let's make a deal. If you promise, if you make me an oath that this is really a game and that if I can't get out of the rope, you'll let me out of the rope, then yes, I will play the game. And the gods say, yes, it's absolutely a game. There's definitely no trap. This is just a, a fun, strong rope that we want to see if you can break. And her soldier says, mm, okay. As proof of your oath, somebody has to put their hand between my teeth while I try it. And if I can't get out and you don't let me out and it was a trap, then I'm going to bite their hand off. And all the gods are saying, mm, I'd rather not do that. Because, of course, all the gods know that they are lying. Mm -hmm. And they are going to break this oath the very instant they get this chain on mm -hmm. Fenrisulfur. And so there's a lot of hemming and hawing. And all the whole time, Fenrisulfur is getting more and more suspicious. Like, mm, see, if this was really a game, this wouldn't be... You wouldn't have questions about this. You would just do the thing. That's right. And we would play this fun game. And I would prove once again that I am the strongest wolf. And f so finally, Tyr, who's been raising Fenrisulfur and who Fenrisulfur trusts the most of all the gods, mm. says, yes, I will put my hand between your teeth while you play this game, which is definitely a game and not a trap that I have set for you. And as Swan says, lying to a puppy. How yes. rude. How rude. Fenrisulfur believes Tyr because Tyr has been essentially been his surrogate father this entire time and says, OK, that's that's good. That seems fair. Let's play this game. And so they tie Fenrisulfur up with Glipnir and... He tries to break it and shake it off and nothing happens. And so he struggles a little harder and thinks, okay, well, maybe it's just a very strong rope. And he still can't, he still can't break the threads. And he starts thrashing and struggling and he can't get it off. And finally, exhausted, he gives up. He says, okay, I'm still the strongest wolf, but I'm not stronger than this. Take it off. And all the gods start laughing because, ha ha ha, we've tricked you, you silly wolf. You'll never get out of this. And in this way, we're going to avert Ragnarok. We're not going to let you out. And Fenrisulfur says, well, okay. And closes his teeth and takes Tyr's hand off at the wrist. And Tyr is the only god who is not enjoying this situation. Possibly for multiple reasons. First, because he just got his hand bitten off. Yeah. Second, because he's been made to betray an oath when mm -hmm. Tyr is the god of oaths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, pretty uh -huh. shady right there. Uh-huh. And third... Because he has been raising Fenrisulfur. And so there may have been some mixed feelings about what they were about to do. Tyr makes the decision to make oh. this sacrifice to break an oath and to accept the physical and luck consequences of breaking an oath. Mm -hmm. And Fenrisulfur remains bound, is dragged off to some desolate place to remain chained with... Um, they also put a sword between his teeth so that he can't bite anyone else. And they Fenris Ulfur. Yes. Uh, and they leave him like that uh, until Ragnarok, when he finally manages to escape and goes on a roaring rampage of revenge, ending with Odin's death. Did they never stop to believe that possibly by doing this thing and breaking <laughs> their oath that they were setting up the scenario for Ragnarok yeah. and Odin's death? So that's... This is a complicated situation because in the original mythology, that's almost certainly not the intended reading. Mm -hmm. In the original mythology, the intended reading is probably that Fenrisulfur is dangerous mm -hmm. and the gods are doing the right thing. But the modern interpretation by most modern heathens is that, yes, by setting up this oath-breaking, by trapping and condemning Loki's children, by the way they treat the the eventual supposed instigators of, of Ragnarok, what the gods actually accomplish 
is just setting the stage it. for Ragnarok. Right. Yeah. It does make sense that modern pagans and heathens would think that because mm-hmm. um, we do tend to like an underdog. We do. No pun <laughs> and, intended. Right. But pun intended. Sort but of. a little bit intended. A little bit. Else says prime example of causing the prophecy to happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there is precedent for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's Self, um, self-fulfilling. Yep. And and there's a lot of modern gnosis about Odin as a god who is driven more by his anxiety over his knowledge of the future than by uh, rational preparations for it. Mm-hmm. There, There's a lot of modern interpretations of the myth that complicate them. And the binding of Fenris Sulfur is, I think, one of the prime examples. But it also sets up, in my opinion, uh, my personal gnosis as a heathen, it sets up Fenris Sulfur and Tyr as opposed figures, mm-hmm. but also as inextricably bound. Yeah. So Tyr is the god of oaths and of keeping your oath and accepting the consequences for a broken oath, right? Mm-hmm. Because he does. Right. He breaks his oath, but he accepts the consequence for it right. without flinching. He he gives Fenris Ulfur his due, mm-hmm. the bargain he made when he accepted this oath. Right. But Fenris Ulfur, in my opinion is the god of the betrayed. He is the god of seeking recompense Mm -hmm. for oaths that were broken against you. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. He would understand the hurt and the harm Mm -hmm. caused by oaths broken. Yep. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think it's also interesting that as, you know, like in the story that I was telling about, uh, sticks about mm-hmm. the goddess sticks and the fact that um odes were sworn by her mostly it sounds like from what i've read it was mostly the gods and the goddesses who swore mm-hmm. by sticks and they were more than willing to uh accept the consequences that other people experienced but they would not break their oaths because if it would they would experience if they the would experience the consequence yeah. which was and, losing their voice essentially and being driven out and and we see that sort of also reflected in the binding of fender sulfur because Tyr is the only one who has to suffer the consequence mm-hmm. for this right mm-hmm. at least until ragnarok all the other gods get off scot-free they get right. to laugh and yeah. enjoy the spectacle of having right. trapped their foe. Only Tyr has to actually yeah. suffer. So that that's very interesting because only it, it, who is who is suffering the consequences? Mm-hmm. And the, is it the person actually responsible? And is it the person actually responsible? And we got you have to remember that in the the Greek story, especially about uh, Zeus, he was keeping his oath, mm-hmm. but it still caused mayhem it and caused destruction. Harm. It caused yeah. harm. Because he kept his oath. And we actually do see that happen a lot in many stories. Keeping a bad oath Mm -hmm. can be as dangerous as breaking a good one. Exactly. And I think that those two stories Mm -hmm. really do reflect that. Yep. Isn't that interesting? All right, but that those are all the stories we have for tonight. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. Yes, we always do love to tell uh, a good story. Yes. Let me know if you find any other stories of broken oaths because... Like I said, apparently they're harder to find than I thought they were. Yeah. Well, it just maybe I don't have the Google food. I, I was just glad I found what I did. Right. <laughs> in, the, in the Greek. All right. But that is going to be it for this episode. Carl, will you lead us out, please? Sure. You can find us on Google. If you have Google food. You don't even need Google food for this. Just type in the number three pagans and a cat and a bunch of shit will show up. And there you'll find us. Yep. And we're on all the social media stuff. Mm -hmm. I've got a TikTok now that you can find Win3Pack, 3-P-A-A-C. We're on the Discord. We're on Facebook. Mm -hmm. We're we're all over the place. And come visit me at the blog. I am writing. Yes. 
and uh, the Patheos Patheos Pagan three-pack uh, three blog. That's right. And that all you really do have to, again, just like with um, our website, mm -hmm. all you have to do is put Patheos Pagan Gwyn mm -hmm. or Patheos Pagan three-pack and yep. you'll, you'll get to us. So that's going to be it for tonight. And thank guess, you for joining us. Yes, we will say goodbye. Goodbye. Go read some stories. Yes. Mythology stories. is fun. Read stories and put them in the Discord for me to read. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>